0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
1: Hello and welcome to The Morning Break with Graham Stanley. It's Tuesday 26th of April 2022 and today I'll be talking about using digital games in education. Hopefully the show will serve as an edtech guide for any of you out there who are thinking about bringing computer games into your classroom. You are listening to The Morning Break on Teachers Talk Radio, everyone. I'm Graeme, and today's show is all about using computer games in the classroom. I've just seen that David White has commented on Twitter that, I think that this has been missing in education for years. If learning is fun, it breaks down. So many barriers to education. Definitely, David. I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to do a show on this topic. One of the other reasons I decided to do this show is because it's more than 10 years since I co-wrote a book for teachers about using computer games in the classroom. A lot has changed in the world of gaming and in the world of education since the publication of that book, and I thought it would be interesting to revisit it and pull from it some ideas and guidelines that are still relevant to share. Now, that book was called Digital Play, Computer Games and Language Aims, and it was aimed at language teachers interested in using video games with their students. But I'll be talking today about education in general and the use of digital games in general, focusing on things any teacher can build upon. Before I get into that though, just a few reflections on the book and how we came to write it. How Everything started back at the end of the first decade of the 21st century. I'd finished a master's degree in English language teaching with educational technology through the University of Manchester in the UK and as someone who'd always played video games I was interested in knowing more about how they were being used by teachers, uh, language teachers in particular. I kept drawing blanks when I asked and there seemed to be nothing to help teachers, at least nothing for language teachers who wanted to even talk about video games with their students, most of whom were spending an increasing amount of their free time playing them it seemed like a real disconnect i realized i spotted an opportunity uh, me and my co-writer by then uh, i'd already been using computer games with learners to practice language and sometimes taking them to the computer game we had at the school i worked with and other times talking about video games with them Soon afterwards, I found out another teacher at the school, Kyle, who became my co-writer, was also using computer games with the students. So we ended up sharing ideas and lesson plans, and from this we developed our ideas into a pitch for a book that ended up being the first practical classroom ideas handbook for teachers wanting to use computer games with students. The book also won the British Council ELT Innovation Award, the Elton, for best teacher resource, which we were immensely proud of. So that's the book, which I don't recommend buying now as it's very out of date, um, as I found out when I came to um, look at it again with fresh eyes after so long. During the rest of the show, uh, I'll be talking about the what, why and how of using digital games with your students. And giving out some practical ideas. If you're listening in live and would like to join us today, either um, to comment or to actually take the microphone and, and uh, join me in the conversation, especially as I'm, I'm alone today, then please download the Podbean app onto your mobile, visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the homepage. This should take you directly into the show and there you can post comments and ask questions during Uh, The conversation or the monologue if no one else uh, joins me. Once I've spoken um, a little bit about this subject, um, then I'd love it if some of you would like to call in if you feel up to it and want to share uh, anything or even disagree with what I have to say. But right now, I will be back after the Teachers Talk Radio News.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
2: In Wales, head teachers are optimistic that the new term beginning on Monday will be the most normal since 2019. School visits, leavers' events, sports days, awards, fairs and shows running for the first time since the pandemic began. New schools advice is due to be issued on Friday May the 6th. Teaching unions however have warned that it is not business as usual and there is still a high risk of COVID disruption. Teaching Union summed up mixed feelings saying hopefully with the weather improving there will be more opportunities for schools to plan extracurricular activities. However, only time will tell if the infections will rise or not after the Easter break. Karen Brown, head teacher of Millbank Primary School in Cardiff said We are not so worried about COVID now, but there were still plenty of cases last term. So we are continuing with good ventilation and hygiene. We are looking forward to things like sports days again. Our plan is to invite parents to that and to our first year six leavers service for two years. We started trips last term and years five and six had an amazing time at Story Arms. We couldn't do that in the last two years. According to new research by the National Literacy Trust, parents spent less time reading, chatting, and playing with their children during the pandemic. The Trust surveyed more than 1,500 parents with children under five. Overall, the report found that fewer parents of young children engaged in home learning activities, reading, chatting, playing, singing or painting and drawing in 2021 compared with 2019, despite spending more time in their home with their child due to the pandemic. Spokesperson Alison Tebbs said, It was such a difficult time for people. There was less support for families. There was less socialisation happening and beneficial activities like going to the park or library were often unable to take place. Reading with children and having conversations is vital for helping their brains develop. One of the reasons two-year-olds act out is because they're trying to communicate feelings which they can't explain verbally. That's why you get tantrums. The more words they have and the more support they get when they communicate, the more in touch they will be with their emotions and with the wider world. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio news with Gail Glenn.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this term is known to be one of the hardest. When we're
3: distracted and tired, it's easy to make a mistake and fall for a scam. There are loads of scams out there, but the use of subdomains to give a fake sense of security is one scam that a lot of people fall for. In the interest of keeping you, your family, and your friends safe over the next two episodes, I'm gonna explain the fake bank message scam and how it can look so believable. First up, we need to discuss how data travels over. Over the internet if you explore an internet address let's take teachers talk radio as our example https www.ttradio.org there are basically four parts https this is hypertext transfer protocol with the s standing for secure Protocols are used for data transfer. The HTTP protocol allows the transmission of HTML or hypertext markup language from a web server to your computer. In basic terms, it lets a web page be requested and viewed. The confusion here is the secure version. Some believe that seeing a site is HTTPS and has a little padlock in the address bar means that you are protected. To some extent, this is true. However, the security certificate for a site simply encrypts or scrambles the transmission, so if it's intercepted, it can't be used. So yes, you are secure from interception, but if the owner of a website is dishonest, you're not safe from them. The next three parts are to do with where the web page resides or the address. Like we need a postcode and house number, your computer needs to know where to look for the information you want. www is the World Wide Web, a huge network of interconnected networks. TT Radio is the name of the website, and .org is the top-level domain. Again, simplifying this, .org domains are kept in a kind of phone book that can be accessed by your internet service provider. So to find TTRadio.org, .org tells you to look in the .org phone book for TT Radio and return where the website is for your browser to download it. Why don't you ask your pupils, family and friends what they believe the padlock and HTTPS means? You may be surprised at the answer you receive. Next time we're going to look at how criminals use this misconception to gain your trust. As always don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods,
0: and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Hello again. This is Morning Break with Graham Stanley on Teachers Talk Radio, and today I'm talking about digital games and education. Let's start with why I think you should use them. But first, a call out to anyone there listening in live. Please come and join me if you want to and share your own opinions and ideas on the subject. I'd love to hear from you. To do so, you need to be listening in on the Podbean app on your mobile. I hope you can join me uh, very soon. So, the 21st century digital revolution has been the most rapid period of technological transformation ever. So claimed John Palfrey and Urs Gatter in their 2008 book Born Digital. Since then, our dependence on digital has only increased, and digital has become integrated in all of our lives, I think. After years of lagging behind in education, I think the digital world has definitely entered our schools and classrooms to a large extent. To what extent depends, I think, on where you live in the world. But now I think there are a few teachers who don't recognize digital as having a role to play in their classroom. Ask your learners also what they do in their free time, and many of them will tell you that they spend much of it playing digital games. This is a good thing. Well, a lot has been written in the press about the negative effects of video games on young people. Uh, But I think most of these articles, uh, or a lot of them, definitely, or opinion pieces, not really grounded in facts. Recently, too, I think the tide seems to have turned. A UK National Literacy Trust research report, for example, published in 2020, that is entitled Video, Games, uh, Video Game Playing and Literacy, a survey of young people aged 11 to 16, have this to say in the conclusion. As may be seen from this brief introductory survey, video game playing is not only extremely popular among 11, 16 year olds, but many of these young people perceive that video games hold benefits for their imagination and creativity. Findings also indicate that video game playing can increase young people's sense of immersion in stories, help them imagine being someone else, help them deal with stress and difficult emotions, and improve communications And connectedness with peers through shared cultural references. This suggests that video game playing has the potential to contribute to as well as detract from positive mental well-being for many young people. So there was, uh, as the survey continued, a need for they, they identified in the survey or in the report a need for good quality longitudinal studies which explore how technology can be harnessed for its positive benefits in children and young people to improve or maintain well-being. Now as far as literacy is concerned the report mentioned in its findings positive effects on some people with video games serving as routes into stories uh, for some, encouraging and supporting a wide range of reading, including longer form text such as fan fiction. More than a third of those who participated in the survey felt playing video games helped them become better readers by inspiring them to read stories and exposing them to new vocabulary. There was evidence of video game playing uh, helping with creative writing. And in addition, many young people felt that playing video games improved the skills they might expect to need for future employability, such as problem solving and teamwork in particular. Interestingly, a significant percentage of respondents said they would like more opportunities to read and write about video games in school. Academics that took part in the survey called for more research into the successful implementation of games in classroom practice and how curricular design could better accommodate the affordance of games. And the survey recommended exploring opportunities for partnership work between industry, publishing, academic and literacy experts, which I think is a really positive thing. Uh, If that could happen, of course, that would be wonderful. Finally, the report ends by saying the increasing popularity of video gaming in the UK suggests it may be a helpful tool in future proofing a response to low literacy levels while supporting 21st century skills such as creativity, collaboration, communication and critical thinking. Further qualitative work is planned to complement these early findings to enable us to develop approaches rooting in consultation with teachers and young people, and thus provide an authentic route into literacy for young people currently most disengaged with reading and writing. I'll put a link in the, um, where, where the recording is on Podbean, to that report, so you can all uh, read it if you're interested in it. In it, It's got a lot more than I'm able to discuss at the moment um, in it. I recommend reading it. Now, given all of this, I think it's only natural that gaming should be something teachers talk to the learners about. Even if you yourself don't play many or any video games, at the very least, I think video games should be talked about with learners. Otherwise, I think you're excluding what for many or most or all of your learners is an important part of their lives. As we all know, the classroom should really uh, affect or be affected by what is going on in learners lives in order for it to be relevant and of interest to them. Now there's a fun book I recommend that is written by the games designer, Ralph Costa. It's a very good introduction. To this subject um, and it's called a theory of fun for game design now, it's not just a book for game designers it's aimed at uh, a general a more general public and in particular it has a lot to say about learning and education if you've ever tried to make up a game for example in your classroom um, any kind of game for your learners this would make great reading it's full of Ralph's reflections on the idea of fun and learning and how the two are related it's also full of wonderful cartoon illustrations that you could use with learners as well i certainly have done so if you're still not convinced then check out the accompanying website to get a taste of it theoryoffun.com one quote from the book is worth repeating now i think and that is It is curious that as parents we'll insist that kids be given the time to play because it's important to childhood but that work is deemed far more important later in life I think work and play aren't all that different to be honest and Ralph explores that and many other things um, in in his book now good of good video games as another educator Um, Or as an educator, James Ball G has noted in his book, Good Video Games Plus Good Learning, can show that, show that pleasure and emotional engagement are fundamental to learning and thinking, and that learning has its true home in action, the world, and dialogue, rather than being limited to course books. Uh, That's another book that's worthwhile checking out. And so enough about... I think why you should be interested in video games in education. Let's consider now that you've decided and you're interested, but where should you start? What's the best way to introduce digital games into your teaching? Well I think the best way to begin is it's just in your classroom talking to your learners. Even if you uh, if you yourself play video games and if you do that's a good place to start I think it's likely that the games you play will be different from those that the learners play. And even within the class, there'll be lots of differences, I think, in the games your learners play. You may well be surprised when you begin to probe just how much time your learners spend playing video games too. A typical console game, for example, can occupy a player's time for 200 hours or more. Compare this with the length of a film or a TV show, and you'll often find that your learners know things like the characters or setting of a particular game, or the games they play, much more deeply than they do other types of more passive media. That in itself can be something that is worth um, exploiting in the classroom. That knowledge, deep knowledge of um, of information about a game. So, much will depend, I think, on the age of your learners and what you teach. but. One activity that can be introduced for discussion purposes um, in most classrooms, I think, and for you to find out what types of games your learners play and to give you a better understanding of what types of players they are, um, and to help you better introduce digital games, or any games for that matter, in the classroom if you, if you want to do so, is something called the Bartle taxonomy of player types. Now, although This sounds like a a mouthful and the origin of it dates back to a paper written in 1996 by a British writer and game researcher Richard Bartle. It can still help you better understand your learner's preferred actions when playing a game. The Bartle Taxonomy is a classification of gamers according to how they prefer to play and it originated in a study of multiplayer online games that classify players into four broad types these four characters um, are achievers explorers socializers and killers and i believe this classification of how gamers approach the playing of a game can also help you understand your learners a little more in general not just when it comes to playing games it's a look, have a look at those four types in a little bit more detail before we. Uh, I, I talk about what you can do uh, with this. So achievers are players who prefer to gain points, rise in level, collect objects, equipment, etc. And it's their way of measuring how well they are succeeding in a game. They'll go to great lengths to achieve rewards. You could say to a certain extent that achievers are... Materialistic and interested in being able to put numbers on their progress. Achievers generally like to show off their achievements to others as well. They can spend considerable time comparing themselves to other players. Gamification of education, which is the taking of elements of game design, adding them to lesson plans and classroom dynamics. Um, that is, you know, perhaps falling out of fashion a little bit, um, but. Was popular a few years ago I think uh, works best with this type of player which is an interesting thing to consider if you're if you're thinking about gamifying your classroom because I don't think gamification works at least not the typical aspects of gamification I don't think it works particularly well with the other three types of players which I'll, uh, I'll talk more about in a minute the second type explorers are those players whose main interest is in discovering areas of a game and immersing themselves in the game world. As the name suggests, they get a kick out of exploring unfamiliar places and they usually also enjoy solving puzzles. Now they are most likely to remember the physical setting of a game and appreciate the details of the experience of playing it from that Point of view they'll also be usually become uh, be the first ones to become bored with a game once they've explored the content and in particular the game world the third type is socializers and as the name suggests gamers who mainly play for social reasons um, now they may Play connected online with friends or in the same room as them playing multiplayer games, playing solo and taking turns to watch their friends playing. The socializers get most fun from interacting with other players. And some socializers also enjoy helping others play and there are even one-player games that have been designed particularly with this type of player in mind. Socializers are players who are most likely to share their gaming experiences on social media or to stream themselves playing on platforms such as Twitch and YouTube, which has become a very popular activity. Watching other gamers play games is now one of the most um, popular things uh, you'll find on YouTube, for example. The last type of Bartle's gamers taxonomy is the killer. And these are players, as you can imagine, I'm sure, are motivated by competitive play, preferring to play against other players rather than the computer, for example. And for some of these players, the thrill comes from causing problems for other players. That's when it gets a little bit tricky. Now, since Bartle's taxonomy of player types appeared, They uh, have been expanded upon, but for our purposes, let's keep it simple. Knowing what types of players your learners are can help you when it comes to using games in the classroom. You wouldn't want to introduce, as I said before, for example, standard gamification elements into your classroom. The levels, leaderboards and points, for instance, that appeal to the achiever player types and then wonder why the strategy didn't work. It might not work with one particular class, for example, because most of the learners in their class are explorers or socializers when it comes to player types. So I think knowing your learner um, and the way they play is particularly interesting um, when it comes to using gamification or um, introducing games into the classroom. How do you find out? Well, Bartle designed a test that gives players their results after answering a short number of questions. A less rigorous way though would be just to ask the learners some questions using the information I've just supplied to explore what they like and don't like when playing a video game. Very short conversation, I think. Now, it's also worth remembering that players are not um, one type or the other. The original questionnaire that Bartle designed, versions of which can still be found online and used with the students, if you just search on Bartle, B-A-R-T-L-E, or adapted led these this survey led to players being classified as a percentage of the four types. I took the test again recently, yesterday actually, and um the one that was available at matthewbar.co.uk and my results were eighty percent explorer, sixty seven percent socializer, forty percent achiever, and thirteen percent killer. So that tells you a little bit about the way I approach um playing games tells you a little bit about my personality i suppose and it also tells you what i enjoy about when it comes to playing games so i'm not one who's particularly interested in in just uh um killing lots of people if i'm playing a violent video game i want something more to it uh, for example now there are of course lots of activities you can do with learners that Don't require any actual playing of any games as I said before talking uh, to your learners about games can be a good start and given how well uh, some of your learners may well know the characters and game worlds for instance you could if they're studying English for example ask them to write a story based in the world of one of the games they play or to elaborate on a quest or adventure they actually played there If it's history, then an interesting project might be to sign learners who are gamers um, to research how authentic a game is compared to what actually happened um, in a period that you're studying. Explore how accurate games that are based on a particular on particular periods of history actually are as well. As I said before, much depends upon what you're teaching and the age group of the learners. It's very difficult to generalize. In my own particular subject, teaching English as a foreign language, for example, I found the possibilities were endless because English as a foreign language, when you're teaching uh, in the English, a language, for example, you can find it's, it's almost like it's a subject. Um, it's a subject in search of content in a way. And so uh, that was something that I really took advantage of. Now, one thing is uh to talk about games with your learners or ask them to play and report back on them in class and quite another thing is deciding you want to actually play games with learners in the classroom if that's possible like the other choices you need to make depending on the age of your learners and what you teach it's very difficult to generalize how to approach this but there are definitely things i can recommend you do and don't do based on my experience First of all, there's so many different types of digital games that it's difficult to know which ones to use at first. There's also the problem of cost and whether you can actually use the games in your school or in your classroom. With English teaching, I was suggested making use of free online games. Um, but that does require access to the internet in the classroom, for example. And that might not be appropriate with the age group of your learners or the subject you teach. In the past, I've also used console games, bringing my own console and games to school and plugging them into a TV in the classroom if I felt that it was particularly interesting to do. I'm also a fan of using authentic content, so games uh, rather than games specifically designed for education. I've seen and used some educational games that have been designed specifically to use with learners. Um, and some of them are very good, but I've also seen a lot of other games that were not much fun at all. That were essentially just disguised tests, and I think quite strongly that you can't pull the wool over learners' eyes. They will know the difference between a game and a poorly disguised test. If you use the latter, then you really won't engage the learners, and you'll only lead your class down the garden garden path to boredom. Another reason for Uh, using commercial off-the-shelf games if they fit with your curriculum is that they have been through a lot of play testing and have been professionally designed to appeal to the people who are playing them. There's a lot to being a game designer and one of the best reasons for using tried and tested popular games is that you know your learners are going to find them fun to play. It's difficult to underestimate the importance of this. I mean why play a game if it's not going to be fun however you can um, be drawn into a trap of course of playing a game just because it's fun and that is just as bad if not worse if you spend a lot of time playing a game with you know, with your learners and they have fun but they don't learn anything then you know that's that's a, a terrible thing to do I think with the use of uh, time um, in the classroom now The writer George Bernard Shaw once said, We don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. And John Piaget wrote, Play is the answer to how anything new comes about. Finally, there's also a quote from the Roman poet Ovid that goes, Games are a more natural way to learn than traditional classrooms. And in our play, we reveal what kind of people we are. So play is important children in particular need to play. It's part of their world which helps them develop their communication, understanding and imagination. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. But in spite of this, uh, a programme of activities and work usually fill up the school day. and The role of playing games is marginalised, not central to schools and education. Many educators have argued that play has no place at school and they should have when terms such as entertainment or gamification are used? Should, that, should it be that way? I personally don't think so. If you disagree with me, or even if you agree with me and are listening live, then come and share your own opinions. Now, let's consider something that I posted on Twitter yesterday that Chris Crawford, a well-known game designer, wrote in his book, The Art of Computer Game Design. The question, can games have educational value, is absurd. It is not games, but schools that are the newfangled notion, the untested fad, the violator of tradition. Game playing is a vital educational function for any creature capable of learning. Provocative words there. Do you agree with them? come and uh, come and let me know or post it on twitter or in the chat if you're listening in um, using the using the podbean app it's not just kids either is it play can l- make learning more productive and pleasurable for adults too playing in games help us be more flexible more creative resilient and can be a great source of happiness as i mentioned earlier For most 21st century learners, digital games are what they spend most of their free time engaging with. It's not just about playing computer games either. It's what they spend their time talking about with their friends. And they also learn while doing this. Here's another provocative quote. The theory of learning in good video games fits better with the modern, high-tech, global world today's children and teenagers live in than do the theories and practices of learning that they see in school. Again, quite strong stuff. That's a quote from John Paul G, a um, a linguist um, and educator from a book that is highly recommended, or at least I highly recommend reading, What Video Games Have to Teach Us About Learning in Literature. There's another book I also recommend by D.W. Scheffer, S. H. A. W. F. E. R which is called how computer games help children to learn in it. He says computer games, sorry, computer and video games make it possible for students to learn, to think in innovative and creative ways, just as innovators in the real world learn to think creatively. I strongly believe that introducing the kind of play featured in video games into our classrooms has a potential, to open a doorway to a new way of learning, one that will bring more imagination, curiosity, and fun to your classes. Despite all of this, and despite new research such as that which I mentioned earlier, focusing on the benefits of video games, many people still hold the views that are proving to be stumbling blocks to using computer games more widely to adopting them in the classroom and to appreciating their educational potential. I think perhaps the greatest barrier to this is the long-standing association that games have had with, with violence, or many games have had with violence. If you take most of what is published or broadcast in the mainstream media about video games, I think you would believe that playing violent video games triggers real-world violence. However, that is not what the conclusions um, are made in, in books that have been uh, research that has been done on the subject. There's one particular, the first in-depth study on the matter, uh, that was published some years ago, was written by Lawrence Kuttner and Cheryl K. Olson. It's called Grand Theft Childhood. The surprising truth about violent video games. That concludes in this way. Much of the information in the popular press about the effects of violent games is wrong. The strong link between video game violence and real-world violence and the conclusion that video games lead to social isolation and poor interpersonal skills are drawn from bad or irrelevant research muddle-headed thinking and unfounded simplistic news reports. So there you have it, becoming more controversial as we go along. Now, reading this book shows us, I think, that parents and teachers should relax when it comes to uh, the effect of video games on, um, on on children. Concern is Understandable, however, I think, given the sensationalist news reports that do occasionally appear, but these concerns, I think, are no different from the unfounded worries previous generations have had about the new media of their day. I remember growing up with the uh, with everybody talking about the uh, the effect of television that was going to have and perhaps it's true that television has changed um, our attention spans etc but i don't think it's uh, as bad as some of the claims that were made about it in the past when i was growing up at least now as early as 2009 when it comes to um comes to violence and video games, a report by the MacArthur Foundation called attention to the tremendous educative power of games to integrate thinking, social interaction and technology into the learning experience. I think there is definitely room for teachers to um, open up to thinking how they could integrate uh, video games into their classroom or into uh, into the way that they approach education in a lot of subjects, at least. Now, there's also, I think, an ill-informed opinion held by many that most video games are played by teenagers. Again, I think some of these stereotypes are are, are finally disappearing, but I think that is one that I still perceive. When many people think of computer games, for example, an image pops into the head of a teenage boy alone in his bedroom, eyes glazed to the screen while he destroys the ever-increasing onslaught of, I don't know, zombies storming towards him. I think that is still an image. Now, one of the things that's quite interesting, I think, if um, for parents uh, to be encouraged to do, it's one of the best things that uh, best pieces of advice I ever heard. Someone suggest is, rather than the um, the computer being in the teenage boy's bedroom, for example, it should be um, in a in a space which is communal in the home, and that way. Whatever happens on that computer can actually be part of family life. For example, so it's not some weird thing that the um, that the parents don't understand what's happening because they can observe him or her when they're playing, um, and I think that's a very good example of of how you can demystify in the family uh, the playing of video games and also and um, for parents to get to know a bit more even if they don't play the games um, exactly what the uh, what their children are doing so i do recommend that now statistics show that as many women and girls play games as men and it's a mistake to associate computer gaming only with children or teenagers as well what well, does exist um in general although it is short um narrowing is a generation gap and especially between those who play games and those who don't and this is starting to have perhaps a negative effect on society and some of the research that is available is even shown disruption to parental communication with children what I said before about um, doing making moves I think for parents to make moves to integrate the playing of games into a kind of family life I think is a very good thing and um, it has been said that as a result of their own insufficient understanding of an unwillingness to take part in game cultures which appear to captivate this new generation um, parental communication can be negatively affected right so the idea of Using computer games in education is not a new one, and the term serious game um, exists, and that is refused to to uh, to refer to a game designed for a purpose other than pure entertainment. Serious games have been developed for use in defense, in healthcare, city planning, and scientific exploration, among others. The aim of these games has been to train, investigate, simulate, or advertise. And they are, more often than not, problem-solving games. And I think this development and deployment of serious games has helped computer games become more accepted in different sectors of society as well. With games becoming more interesting and attracting larger audiences, particularly of children and young people, I think um, this has um, drawn the attention of educators who previously weren't interested in them and it's evident to even to a casual observer that many of the new games require hours as i said before of sustained concentration in order to complete them which can only be a good thing as games become more sophisticated too researchers such as james paul g have remarked that many video games are now embodying good learning principles embodying the best learning theories available in cognitive scientists science what can you learn from um, what jpg calls a good playing good video games well uh, some of the things are creative problem solving calculated risk taking persistence attention to detail and effective collaboration a lot depends on the actual game but i think these skills are definitely highly valued in our increasingly knowledge-based economy which ideally would be regularly demonstrated at school but which are also difficult to teach in a traditional school environment. So um, I don't know if there's anyone listening in live who would like to join me to discuss any of the things I've talked about. If so then please just let me know um, and I'll bring you in. If not then I'm going to continue talking about this and if you do um, want to um, join me live then remember you can do so by downloading the Podbean app onto your mobile once you're listening um, using the app you can post comments um, and ask questions or say that you'd like to call in and if you let me know I can bring you in uh, there so in the meantime I will continue talking about this and I'm going to move a little bit more towards the practical ideas specifically for using games for English language learners because that's what most of my experiences is, um, is involved but some of the things I think I'll be talking about is um, of definite relevance to other uh, to t- teachers teaching other subjects and one of the things that is very interesting with a lot of um games such as problem solving games so the puzzle games escape room games that are online and other types of um, story based games but that involve for example a journey that the game character has to make is this information gap and this idea of having to solve problems find objects and and um, and um, move through the game to be able to accomplish a particular task or quest. And one of the things that uh, deters teachers from using this type of game is, is that they feel that they might have to play the actual game to be able to know uh, how to use it. Well, I think if you can, it's always a good thing to actually play part of the game to be able to, uh, before you can use it with your learners, of course, because you don't want to be surprised, or you don't want to, you know, show yourself that ignorant when it comes to actually using a game if you're using it in the classroom. But one of the great things is something called walkthrough, walkthroughs. Now, walkthrough, as the name uh, suggests, is a set of instructions that have been usually, They were written, now a lot of walkthroughs are actually um, done on videos, but the written ones were particularly interesting to use with language learners. That will help you actually see what you need to do to be able to complete a game or a level of a game. They're particularly used by um, in in difficult games um, by gamers who have completed the game that they're basically showing off to be able to... Uh, tell other gamers how to complete a level or a game which is uh, too difficult for them and I think these walkthroughs are immense uh, immensely useful when it comes to designing your own activities of you using a game in the classroom now you can do this in lots of different ways you can make gap fills out of them Um, if you're teaching English this is what one thing that's very popular: you could remove vocabulary items or grammar items. You could re- rewrite them. You could actually place errors into them. You can break them up into they're they're essentially text that you can manipulate them any way you would normally manipulate any other text. But one of the great things about it, about using walkthroughs, is that you can actually um, you can use these texts in all sorts of different ways. Um, for reading, you can um, you can have the students extend them so they can turn into writing tests. So the simpler the walkthroughs are usually very simple descriptions of what some a player has to do, and what you can ask students to do, for example, which I have done, is ask them to expand upon it. Um, to make them more sophisticated text. So almost use the text as a kind of framework for writing, for example, and get them to add adjectives, to get add detail, to add their own um, descriptions of the characters, etc. A lot of these texts, for example, are also written from the point of view, click here, click there. Um, What you can do is ask the students to imagine that rather than they're a player playing a game, they are actually the character in the game and what is that character doing so rather than clicking on um, on the desk um, they are going to the desk and picking up the telephone and making a call for example rather than clicking to make a call that is something that's quite interesting if you want to work with students it's actually something's quite interesting about games in general because there are two ways to approach a computer game and in general um, your uh, anyone who plays a game will approach it in one of these two ways. One is that you are the per player playing the game, doing something, manipulating an avatar, doing it. Or you are the person in the game. You become a lot more sort of involved in the game, immersed in the game, and you're the, you put yourself in the shoes of the character and you're actually the person actually moving around in the game. And that's quite an interesting thing to explore with students as well, to see which of the two that they're... Um, Two different types are they are so that's something with walkthroughs as well I would also recommend um, if you are using the texts for listening or if you want the students to actually if you're helping the students to do something then you can do a live listening in English language teaching this is really interesting because it means that any game that you use with students um, can be used with different levels of students and different age groups. And what you do as a teacher is you actually adapt what you say to the students according to their level and age. So what you say and what you don't say depends on um, what the, uh, the the context and the, and the actual class you have, which I think is really interesting. That means it's a very easy way to be able to reuse a game for lots of different levels as well. And then finally, I think what I'm going to talk about um, is a way of using games that I think can be um, adapted to learners um, outside the English language classroom, but which, well, the language classroom, but which has become um, something that is particularly um, interesting for me, um, for learners, is that there is this concept that is called demand high that two English language uh, writers educators Adrian Underhill and Jim Scrivener um, came up with some years ago that was about in order to really help students what you need to do is push them to their absolute limit or just beyond their limit. so you don't want to give them tasks that are particularly difficult but this came from observations of teachers teaching that the two educators actually, undertook and they found that most of the time um, a lot of teachers were asking students to do something and not actually demanding much of them so the tasks that they were giving students were demotivating because they didn't actually um, require the students to do much if anything at all to be able to accomplish them what they found that the teachers were doing automatically was just asking them to do these sort of low demand tasks and giving them quite um you know the the odd well done that's great thank thank you yes that was wonderful great or you know not actually um giving them feedback that is actually based on the level of the task that they were doing or what they were able to do there so they suggested what a teacher should do instead is actually to design a task that would actually really push the students to be able to do something that was difficult and and give them appropriate feedback um, obviously not to demotivate them in any other in, in any way but to actually motivate them to try and uh, or encourage them to 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 work at a higher level when it comes to language teaching for example let's take speaking so if you're encouraging your students to speak about a particular um, a particular area, then what you want them to do is to be able to get them to express themselves as much as they can. So get them to be able to say what they can to the limit of where they can actually do it. And one of the dangers with asking students questions or st- asking them to describe something, for example, is that students just imagine there's a picture. Um, students might say there's a man, there's a woman, they're in a field. For example, now that is the very basic information that a student might be able to say about a particular picture. What you really want them to do is to be able to um, really expand upon that, and uh, to be able to to say as much as they can with as much detail. To be able to use descriptive words, adjectives, etc. Now, one way of doing that is you present the picture. For example, if you turned it into a game and this is something i have done with the classes if you're giving out if you want to do it points or just encouragement um so the first student who says that very basic description um you say okay that's fine can anybody expand upon that say any more and then you encourage another student to actually okay the man aged about 30 is standing in a field with long green grass and he is looking at the woman aged about 30 you know whatever they can do i think the great thing about this type of activity is that you're really asking the students to 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 speak at the level that they can to really push them to be able to do that that's demand high and i've used that a lot with games activities and i do recommend that you look that up. I don't think the website is being updated um, very often now but it's at demandhighelt.wordpress.com. I really think that it's not just something that would apply to English language teaching. I think there are lots of other subjects where you would ask uh, students to answer questions where they could say a lot more than they actually do and for a teacher to actually um, push them to say more or push for other students in the classroom to say more about a particular thing adding more detail I think is always going to be a good thing Um, and will help the students um, become more more able to to answer I think that I think is it Um, thank you very much everybody um, for listening it brings me to the end of today's show I think uh, so I hope you found it of interest. Uh, thanks for sticking with me for the whole hour. As a special bonus to any of you still listening uh, to the recording or live, I've got a digital gift for you, which you can use with your own classes, and it's related to digital games. All you need to do is find me on Twitter, and I'm at ELT Graham, and DM me, so send a direct message to me with the words, digital fun, and I'll send you a digital surprise gift so there you are that's to reward you for getting to the end of this show so again thank you very much for listening and um very special thank you for anyone who's joined me live remember there are teachers taught radio shows all week and the next show will be with lucy neoburger at 6 pm gmt today join me again next week at the same time i should have a guest with me i hope